In the first reading, we get an insight into the life of Job. He's experiencing life as drudgery, endlessly hard and seemingly pointless. We do not have to experience the anguish of Job to sense that sometimes our own lives seem pointless and are lived without passion. Thank God that for most of us, disaster and depression is rare, though boredom and a lack of focus are not. Sometimes, boredom and a lack of focus are enough to bring us low. There can be many causes of this, but often enough is simply a, a managerial attitude towards our lives, a maintenance frame of mind that makes our feelings and faith go flat. We seriously misunderstand our faith if we see it in terms of getting by or getting through. If this is what life and faith are all about, there's no surprise that sometimes our own lives either bore or frustrate us. Perhaps at times, the younger members of our community get a sense of this. They sense a tedium, a staleness about our religion and our practices. I'm sometimes told that Mass is boring. Let's be honest. Mass is not about being entertained. And if being entertained is the sole criterion for judging the Mass, well, I don't think we can measure up to the thousands of channels on DSTV, Showmax, Netflix, TikTok, and others. But also, to be honest, we're not in competition with the world's entertainment providers. After all, why would anybody expect novelty, slickness, and entertainment from a sacred communal practice characterized by great tradition, universality, and stability of form. Having said that, we as a faith community must admit that there isn't much intensity or urgency in a community if their primary concern is about managing its relationship to God or maintaining its own existence. Is the church really about the powerful message of Christ? Or is it only concerned with itself? St. Paul seems positively driven to write and speak of Jesus and his revelation. He says, I am under compulsion and have no choice. I am ruined if I do not preach it. His faith means so much to him that he's willing to be the slave of all to be all things to all people in order to win them over. For St. Paul, the faith is definitely not a small and unimportant part of his life. I seldom meet Christians like St. Paul. Most Christians seem hounded by doubts. After all, is it really such a big deal that people believe in Jesus? Does it matter very much to us if our children drift away from the faith we say we love? Isn't one religion just as good as another?
Isn't watching Mass on my computer screen just as good as receiving the body and blood of Christ? Well, if our faith does not make a big difference in our lives, if it's not actually crucial that we or others believe, then it's no wonder if it seems boring to some of our youth. Anything we don't care about can't be very interesting. The things that we do care about, however, we inevitably talk about. If you love someone or something deeply enough, you want to tell others about it. You want to share it with others. That's the picture St. Paul paints in his letter, which we read today. Paul's drive is as understandable as the lover's. Both Paul and the lover turn almost desperately to declaration, to poetry, to song, to get their message across. If faith is real, it seeks expression. It will communicate and profess. It will have the energy of passion. But faith cannot be real for us if it's not allowed into our real world. A Christ who is squeezed into a pew may feel cozy, but the relationship will soon get tired and will feel like a prison. Could this be one of the reasons why the Gospel of Mark, at the very outset, portrays our encounters with Christ over a broad range of life experiences. We first find Jesus leaving the synagogue to enter into the midst of human intimacies, friends, community and family. He walks and lives with comrade apostles and their in-laws. And there is he found. He inhabits relationship. Second, he's never far from pain and diminishment. Grasping the hand of Simon's mother-in-law, he helps her up as a fever abates. Other people with afflictions, obsessions and interior injuries call out for his touch and he responds. This was not his major work, of course but he seemed always to have time for the marginal and the outsider. Third, he's found in the lonely place. Mark notes here that the desert is where he finds solitude. At other times, it's on the mountain. But as it is with his appearance and relationships and the wounded of the world, he maintains this dimension of quiet and prayer as a hallmark, a characteristic of his life. The ground of the real world, our solitude, our relationships, and our human solidarity. This is the terrain from which Jesus sets out to proclaim the good news and visit the synagogues of Galilee. Our practice of faith, our discipleship, cannot be otherwise Jesus not only transforms our secluded moments, our intimacies, and our social compassion. He doesn't just transform them, he lives there.
and his presence is a matter of supreme importance. For in our human solitude, we find not isolated brokenness. We discover the strong fortress of relationship with God. Our friends are not diversions from a far-off deity. They give our life in God flesh and blood. The call of the wounded is not just some problem to solve or avoid. It's an invitation to love's redemptive power. Our Mass, this Eucharist, reenacts this truth. We come together in silence and song and prayer. We come together as part of a family belonging to one another. We come together from the margins of our brokenness. And then we are sent out with a mission. This is our everyday truth. Not a boring truth, but a life-changing one.